0: Hello, my friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. I am your host, Joanne LaFleur, and this is Season 5, Episode 19. We're coming to the end of the season. We just have this and one more episode next. We're rounding out a nice 20. Can't wait to tell you more in this episode about what's coming up on Season 6, what you can expect. you're going to be excited about it but if you want to stay connected between seasons i want you to join the digital church facebook group it's a group of hundreds of us from all over the world who are sharing ideas asking questions um, considering the most recent data and research around what's going on in the digital world so that we can respond creatively so that we can respond as disciples and people who make up make other disciples and then also um, people who really just want to reach others with the best news in the world so want you to join the Digital Church Facebook group. There's a link in the profile, a link in the show notes, but you can also anytime just go to Facebook and type in Digital Church and you're going to find us. All right, I want to let you know a little bit about Dr. Carolyn Leaf because she's a neuroscientist and she specializes in cognitive and meta-cognitive neuropsychology. Since the early 80s, she's researched in the mind-brain connection and the nature of mental health. And the formation of memory. Okay, that's a huge mouthful to say. She's going to talk to us about the science behind our brain activity as it pertains to stress and anxiety. We've all gone through a lot of stress, we've all gone through a lot of anxiety, and a lot of it's even been related to our screens and how we use them in the last year of a global pandemic. So we're going to talk about that with Dr. Carolyn Leaf today. Can't wait for you to learn uh, and listen in on her expertise. Thank you so much to Wycliffe College for your sponsorship. They're uh, really a world-class faculty of scholars at this seminary. They're an evangelical seminary at the University of Toronto. And I love them because uh, you get this degree from the University of Toronto, which is one of the top universities in the world. But also, you get this evangelical approach to your education, which is from Wycliffe's amazing faculty. They're engaged in academic thinking and writing and work but also you get to engage in the life of other students from around the world some of my friends from my days at Wycliffe College are literally in every continent of the planet so it's an amazing and rich conversation bringing people from all over the world to share ideas and grow as disciples and grow as leaders so if that's interesting to you check out WycliffeCollege.ca slash Word Digital love you to check out the school that I went to because I really believe it impacted me so greatly if you're looking for that kind of a thing and hey if you let them know, you would drop by the website, then uh, they're going to send you some free swag in the mail. And swag is fun and mail is fun. So check it out. Thanks, of course, also to Compassion Canada. At Compassion Canada, the good life is really simple. It's about seeing children thrive. And Compassion is really committed. I've seen this myself. They're committed to doing this doing good each day. And how do they do it? They actually do it simply by being good neighbors. Compassion works with local churches around the world to respond to the immediate and long-term needs of their neighbors. It's a holistic approach to helping children and their families trapped in poverty how to escape their how to escape poverty but do so within their own community so they can have hope and future for tomorrow. There's a whole movement of Canadians and people around the world who are stepping up to do good every day and ensure that children can escape from poverty and begin to thrive. Go to compassion.ca slash good for more details, and there's a link in the show notes to compassion.ca slash good. We'd love you to check that out. All right, we're gonna be talking now with Dr. Carolyn Leifo cleaning up our mental mess, and how we're gonna reduce anxiety and stress through the power of brain science.
1: Welcome to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. You're listening to Season 5, sponsored by Compassion Canada and Wycliffe College. Word Made Digital brings you interviews with Christian creatives and communicators to inspire, challenge, and equip you in your own work. The church has the best news in the world, so we want to help you be the best communicators in the world. Here we go.
0: Dr. Carolyn Leaf, welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm really just so glad to have you on the podcast today. This is going to be an interesting conversation.
2: Thank you, Jen. I'm thrilled to be joining you.
0: So, for those of us who are less familiar with your work, could you give us a little bit of a, a context for why this is your life's work? Can you give us a story, a little bit of where you come from as you talk about the mind?
2: Absolutely. Well, I've been in this field for, it's almost four decades now, researching the mind, mind mind-brain connection, what is mind, science of thought, what is memory, can we control it? And I started with research back in the 80s um, with people with traumatic brain injuries and Alzheimer's and autism and war trauma and sexual trauma and all kinds of trauma and started researching early on. So from a very young age, I went into science and paralleled that with clinical work as well. So the clinical trials and clinical work, I Practice for 25 years working with people with any all, all my issues with mind as i said learning problems dementias traumatic brain injuries traumas and so on and um it was just it's been such an interesting journey of helping people to understand what the mind is and what the brain is and how they separate and how you can bring them together and the level of influence that we have over controlling our mind and if we don't uh, probably the most simple statement to explain what i do would be to 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 come from this angle, that we can go three weeks without food, we can go three days without water, we can go three minutes without oxygen, but we don't even go three seconds without using our mind. So it's not like we don't use our mind and then we do use our mind. If you don't use your mind, you're dead. Your, your mind is, is you know, your physical body will disintegrate. Your mind is what's keeping your brain and body working. Your mind is 99% of who you are and your brain and body are 1%. So your mind in terms of sort of more Christianese, if he wants to use that, would be your spirit soul. And then your brain body would be your body, the physical. So I've been looking at the what is mind and what is the relationship of mind to body and the influence of mind-brain integration. And it's been fascinating because I've seen people, people with traumatic brain injuries and all kinds of severe issues once they know how to use their mind going back, from, going from being literally uh, literally not being able to cope at all like from an accident to getting degrees and I've seen people come through terrible traumas, war traumas and sexual traumas and all kinds of things that going, going getting to the other side but it's also been a situation of that's the mind is not just for, for the, those things, the mind is with everything so we're, we're, what we're doing now is using Mind, we you listening to me? I'm talking. The the the, audio, the listeners are listening and watching. Is it is this video as well? Or is it just audio? Yes, it, uh, for some they'll
0: be watching
2: the, video as well. Okay, so so some are watching, and I've got some props, and so all of your ability to be able to watch and listen now, and us to communicate, that's all mind. Mind is your. F- first source. It drives everything. Mind is the source of everything. So your mind is used when you go to sleep at night. When you're sleeping at night, your mind is cleaning up what you've done during the day. When you wake up in the morning, your mind is, is what you're using to respond to the text, the emails, the conversation, everything you do. Your mind is how you process the being alive, being a human. So if we understand how our mind works, and we understand what it does in the brain and the body, then we can go to the next question, which is, can we con- can we control the mind? So if you bring that back once again and land it back in, in Scripture, then you can look at the Scriptures of renewing the mind. Renewing is present continuous. We're supposed to be constantly renewing the mind because the mind is always working, and then bring all thoughts into captivity. All is all thoughts, and we're always thinking feeding and choosing to build thoughts. So taking, if you want to sort of the scriptural side, you've got that those two that actually sort of land where mind is. So we mustn't try and think of mind as being one thing and brain isn't, an, you know, it's, brain is mind and brain are separate but inseparable. But you mustn't think that you use your mind for school and for trauma but then you don't use your mind for the rest of the day. You're always using your mind. Your mind's doing everything. So we need to learn to control it. And it's my work, in, I was I come from South Africa, born in Zimbabwe so I did 25 years of work as well in the war-torn Africa, apartheid Africa, um, the transition period so, working with the poorest of the poor, the most traumatized, the wealthiest. So, I've, I've, my laboratory has been the field, getting out there in the world with people, helping to understand this and then putting it all together. And you mentioned something as well that I think is relevant to this, the backstory as well is that a lot of people in the religious environment have a fear of science, and I always find that it's 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 I always find that strange because if we think God is the source of everything of all knowledge. Science actually means knowledge. So if God is the source of all knowledge, science is simply a description of how the knowledge works. So understanding our brain or understanding our body or understanding how technology works or the study of whatever you study, that is science. So whether you're studying theology or whether you're studying neuroscience, you're still studying science. It's still knowledge. And that comes from God. So science and spirituality are one and the same thing, but just two different angles of the Looking at the two different angles of the same things, looking at it from two different sides. So I always like to say that just up front because no, people have a good. little bit of fear in the church of science, which they shouldn't.
0: Well, no, I agree. I um, I am not a science background person myself. Uh, I, I mean, that will be obvious by the type of questions that I'm probably going to ask you. But, um, you know, a lot of science, no, but you
2: actually but you actually, sorry to interrupt you, you actually are because you've got a degree in communication from what I read in your, so that is science. So so you've studied the science of communication. So, and Mm. what you're doing is science. This is where we've got to be realized all knowledge is science. There's just different types of science. So I'm more in brain, medical science, mental health, you're more in Communication science. If you look at it like that, Mm. a parent who is bringing up a child who's been to school but now they've chosen to stay at home or they're still working and staying at home, that's all science. Bringing up a child is science, growing a plant is science. So we've got to realise that everything about knowledge, anything about humans and the world we live in and how it works is science from whatever angle you take it, which is a nice way of looking at it. And all of that understanding is driven by mind. You use your mind to understand you and the world.
0: Oh, I love that. Thank you for saying that, because I think it's helping us to expand our sense, particularly as Christians, as you've said, who might be nervous. Some Christians are nervous about science because in some way they feel that it doesn't match up with uh, their—what scientists are doing in some way maybe doesn't match up with their faith experience because they're using the Bible as a science textbook as opposed to a meaning story about about scripture exactly. and who God is and who His people are, so I'm exactly uh, you know I I appreciate that really you're an advocate for science. I, I think of when when we began this conversation, Barna, the research group, they talk very clearly about the need for youth groups or teenagers to hear their leadership talk about science because then when they leave the safety of that home and go off to university or college, they have not enough resource in science to be able to understand what new ideas are being presented with in a a secular university. And then a lot of people leave their faith because it had nothing uh, to hold it up. Um so you know I exactly. just I love that work do you, are you finding that when um with young people or or people that you're interacting with as you travel the world and speak about this is there an, a hunger for science and when it comes to spirituality <laughs> they-
2: there is a hunger for science, but I find religious a huge block. People get mm-hmm. over-religious, and it's only certain groups, you know, the very extreme fundamentalists that are tend to be the kind of worst at this, where it's just, you know, if you're not spouting Scripture every five seconds, you the devil kind of thing, which is a very, very <laughs> medieval kind of And it's still, I mean, I still get that. People will still, you know, I see God as love and God as science and God as everything, and, and I find God in science. So, you know, it's because it's, that's the world that we create. So, yes, we've got to open our minds because if if you don't like science and you think it's anti-God, then don't use your cell phone. Don't watch this converse, don't listen to this conversation because it's science that's enabling us to communicate via via the technology that we are using. Mm-hmm. And it's your cell phone that's based on science and the fact that your house was built is science and the fact that you can eat the food you eat is science. You know, everything is knowledge. And it's knowledge that has been given to us to discover, and to and that's what scientists are doing: discovering the knowledge and how it all works. So yes, there, there is a bias, and the bias is very, um, very, and it's a very unfortunate because it does lead to a lot of stress in people's lives that are, um, and a lot of it causes. To me. I see more mental health issues amongst people that are very religious than, and everyone battles with mental health, but like quite severe, extreme mental health issues amongst people that are so bound in a very sort of limited religious view. And I'm not talking about everyone. I'm mm. talking about very, you know, very fundamental, very uh, science is evil kind of thing that really disrupts. It's, it's the, totally anti-God, <laughs> if if that makes sense.
0: Oh, I'm, I'm fascinated by that because you're, I, I, as a non, again, as a non-expert in this topic, I think of people in my own world who've gone into, come out of a very strict religious background, a Christian background of some kind, and have gone into deep, Depression and anxiety. They talk about these issues that they, mm-hmm. um, and then as a result, they they reject religion as a whole. Um, they reject Christianity as a whole because they uh, really have been sort of abused within it mentally or emotionally. Yes. Um, t- yes. T- tell me what. Tell me so. what you're you're seeing with that. Uh, is there any patterns well, you want to address?
2: Well, there definitely is, you know, in any, any kind of um, – any, anything that we've experienced is, is, is – basically becomes part of our neurology and also part of our mind. So we, we, every experience that we have, every moment of every day, right from in the womb, is building into networks, physical networks in our brain, so changing the brain, and that's neuroplasticity. But they also build into the DNA of every cell of our body. And we have 37 to 100 trillion cells in our body, and also into the gravitational fields of our mind. I mean, that's heavy science, but we, we, our mind is, um, if, if you go back to the work of Einstein, and everyone Heard of Einstein that's what's a good good way of, of explaining this Einstein spoke about the photoelectric effect and the photons that we emit from our body and that's a fact I mean you electrostatics you walk past someone and and your shirt you know you, you feel that electrostatic connect that when you brush past someone and they certain washing liquids and things will make a very strong electrostatic effect and you can feel oh I got a shock from you that's an example an extreme example of how we are um it, there's this whole field around us. It's not that. It's just mm. that this physical physical is um, is only one percent of who we are. Mind is this ninety nine percent. So when we don't get frightened of all of that and we recognize that this is the 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 non, there's many scriptures talking about how the invisible is controlling the visible and the invisible is you know God is invisible. We can't and yet people are scared of the invisible. Then you must be scared of God. You know we've got to look at our logic patterns. There's a lot of illogic in that thinking. God is is We can't explain God. God is beyond space and time beyond explanation. And so as soon as we think we can explain what God is, we will limit our understanding of ourselves Mm -hmm. and we will be frightened of things like science, which are trying to explore the limitless knowledge that we have out there. So yes, people people that are stuck in that mode of thinking um, will look with a very narrow lens and not be able to accept other people's points of view and will be threatened by other people's points of view. Meanwhile, one of the most gracious and intelligent things we can do is to accept that people are different from us and to be able to agree and and agree to disagree but still to be able to connect with others so when you've got very fixed beliefs that have been established inside of you and the fixed belief would be an experience or a cultural experience growing up and then that builds into your brain into your body and into your mind and over time if it's um, over time in cycles of it's actually cycles of 63 days it becomes very established Mm. and those become very strong thought thoughts with very and thoughts are made of memories they look like trees I've actually got an analogy here for those that can see but for the listeners I'm holding up a little plant that looks with lots of branches and this plant will have roots and there'll be lots of roots and so this basically um, represents what a thought looks like, and, and the branches are the memories. So you have your root branches, which is your origin story or the source of what happened, and then this is the branches are the behaviors and the emotion memories. So it's one thought, but it's made up of thousands and thousands of memories, two different types, the source memory and the behavioral memory, which then manifest in what you say and what you do. So each time, as, you know, as you're growing up, each different belief system Let's say that it is about X in X philosophy in, in religion, uh, and that is laid as that's more roots sown. And every time it's spoken about, there's more and more roots that grow stronger and stronger. The tree grows stronger and stronger within cycles of nine weeks. And on average, people are exposed to stuff for more than nine weeks. If growing up, it's years. You have a very mm. established wow. pattern. And if that pattern is very, very limiting, where it is if you do this, that's bad, you're going, it's shame, it's guilt. We find so many people coming out of very strict religious backgrounds with tremendous guilt, tremendous shame, tremendous hatred towards himself, tremendous feeling very um, sort of almost cloistered and locked in. And I have another image over here of a toxic tree, and this is for the viewer's You can see it for the listeners. This is basically a tree as well, but it's this wiry looking tree with these wiry branches and roots. And this would represent toxic thinking and something that blocks our ability to love ourselves and to love others. Any philosophy that's blocking us Loving ourselves and loving others is a toxic philosophy and that you see manifesting because it's so against the natural design of the brain and the body because we see that the brain is actually wired for love. That's a scientist statement that there's no proteins, there's no structures in the brain for anything that's hatred, anger, jealousy, envy, etc., that shame, all that stuff. Um, and, our, and our mind is wired for optimism, which means we're drawn to fix the negative and to and to restore the balance. And that's mm. the for survival. For survival operates in love. Survival doesn't operate in in hatred and fear. Survival operates in love. So our whole. Wiring of our brain and our body, and the whole design of our mind is all geared towards love, and that makes sense. We're made in God's image; God is love. So, yet we have free will, which is a huge part of love. So, we can, with our minds, which, as I said in the beginning, is the is the core issue. We don't even go three seconds without our mind working. Mind is how we think, feel, and choose. And every time you think, feel, and choose, you build thoughts. So, every thinking, feeling, and choosing in accordance with love principles, we're going to build health. Otherwise, we're going to operate out of and build toxicity. So if you've grown up in an environment where the nurturing has been very, very fundamental, very strict, and that has led to a person's self-esteem being challenged or values being challenged, and then you go out into the world and you see, but this is not doesn't quite work this way, um, then mm. you see a tremendous amount of depression and anxiety and that kind of thing. So it's all about bringing that balance back, recognizing this and reconceptualizing it to make more sense within a context that is more loving. And, and each person has to kind of do that journey on their own. So that's quite a philosophical and scientific answer to a very good question. But does that answer your question or join it to go no. a little deeper?
0: No, it just leads to more questions.
2: <laughs> it's well, beautiful. that's good. I mean, that's
0: good. <laughs> um, it's, you know, and so immediately I'm thinking, you know, in what ways can we then, you know, I think of this in Scripture, it's the transform that by the renewing of our mind. So what you're talking about is, um, from a scientific perspective, that we can, in fact, renew or change our minds. Not a brain
2: transplant,
0: but exactly. like a mind transplant.
2: Um, And that mind transplant changes the brain. So it actually, sorry to interrupt you, but that actually changes no, no, the brain. Great. So when you change your mind, your brain is always changing because your mind is always changing because your mind is always experiencing. So when you open your eyes in the morning, you're experiencing life. So your mind is changing. You're thinking, feeling and choosing and that's changing and every change is transformed into changes in your brain. You keep changing these trees, adding more branches, changing the branches, changing these to these and that kind of stuff. So that change that's always happening is a constant transforming process. What I teach people to do is exactly what you said, I teach you how to do that. So I've taken renewing the mind, bringing all thoughts into captivity, all that, and I've transformed that into a scientific process. I've researched how do you do that and made that into a simple system over 38 years of intensive research and clinical application in the field with all manner of um, socioeconomic, cultural different applications. And I see a global, you know, I can give a global response and that is basically that we as humans can learn we, we we can learn to renew our mind. Our mind is always changing. Therefore, brain and body are always changing. So, if you don't direct that change, why why wouldn't you want to direct it? It's going to change anyway. So, it can change in the wrong direction, or you can learn to. Manage how you think, feel, and choose, and then it can change in the right direction. And that's what capturing all thoughts. You've got to capture these things. You've got to capture these, you grow, these you want to capture and, and change. Because these are the things that are the toxic habits, the traumas, the incorrect reactions, the bad habits, all that kind of stuff that are blocking our connection to love, that are blocking, keeping us stuck, that are blocking us from moving forward, etc., etc., et cetera. Et cetera. Right. Making our minds feel cluttered and affecting how we do our jobs and our relationships. And, and got—it's an, it's an ongoing process. So really the, yeah. the, the book is, is that. The neuro cycle in the second half of the book, the first half I put all the science, but the science is super simple. Like I'll put a scientific fact and then I'll say, what does this mean for you? So if the science isn't clear, what does it mean for you is very clear. That this sciencey stuff, this is what it will do for you. This is how it will help you renew your mind. And, this, and then I talk about the neuro cycle, neuro meaning brain, which is, um, neurocycles, the process that I have researched and developed and refined over these 38 years, and just once again, retested and refined more in my most recent trials that are in the research that's in the book to show you how to do this. So that's kind of in an, everything in a nutshell. Fire so away. If, Sorry.
0: If it's so good. This We're talking about the, the book is called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, Five Simple Scientifically <clears throat> Proven Steps to Reduce Anxiety, Stress, toxic thinking so as soon as I hear anxiety stress toxic thinking and one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is as this podcast focuses a lot on the digital world or how the digital world affects our lives um, our leadership our our church work whatever it may be um, can you talk to us about how the digital I, when I hear the words anxiety stress toxic thinking I think of all the things that people are saying right now about how the screens in our hands are ruining us <laughs> how they're causing Causing anxiety, stress and toxic thinking. So do you have any insight into um, because you've been doing this since before digital world uh, took over the digital world took over our world. Um, Do you have any insight for us into how whether it's social media or just screens in our hands in our in our lives are affecting this mental mess? How are they contributing to that?
2: Such an insightful and great question yes i have I have watched the transition it's thirty eight years being in this and I sort of I practiced, um, practiced for 25 years so I've watched over the last I'm just working out the exact numbers here I'm working I've watched the transition from over the you're quite right and it's it has changed how we are in fact an interesting um, study started in the mid-90s called the population study and it was looking at the advances of technology and medicine and how that and, and, and the impact on humanity and up till about the 1990s mid-1990s we were advancing um, everyday we decade, people were living longer. And suddenly, something started changing in the mid-90s. And by the mid-2000s, we saw that that trend had actually reversed. And this is not spoken about. It's kind of kept quiet. But what we see now currently, let's talk about prior COVID. We actually prior COVID, we were in a crisis, a mental health global crisis, and also a physical crisis because of the food that we're eating and things as well, and the chemicals. And so this whole advancement in technology has influenced food, it's influenced the chemicals that we have, it's influenced the drugs people are putting in their bodies. And I'm not talking about street drugs, I'm talking about psychotropic drugs, which are more dangerous than a lot of the street drugs that are out there, and and overdoing certain medications. There's just been a move towards very physical treatment of every Everything. and we've so we've kind of moved to an over emphasis on the one percent the physical and an underemphasis on the spiritual which is the mind that thinking feeling choosing the narrative the whole person and you can't work with one to the exclusion of the other you will pay the price and that price started being Sort of being identified in the mid '90s, as I mentioned, and technology is part of it because this has this has been the, this last 40 years has been a massive advance, as we know, in technology and medical medicine. So now we are sitting in an era just pre-COVID where people are were dying, fifteen and are dying, 50, eight sorry eight. Twenty-five years younger than what they were previously. So we, for years, we've been living longer. Now suddenly, we eight to twenty-five years. And people that get a label, a psychiatric label, and get drugs, they they are the ones in the twenty-five year dying 25 years earlier bracket and the people that are being the most affected are your 18 and your 24 to 65 year olds so that mm. the people in the prime of their life so you're, you know people that are in the workforce um, and sort of beginning their careers and at the peak of their careers and they're the ones that are being affected the most by this um, by this and, and you think of it you're in the workforce you're in the technological era and that's not just one thing now technology is phenomenal i think it's the great it's, it's phenomenal i love technology it's not the technology that it's a problem. It's how we're managing it. It's our mindset behind the technology. It's how we view it, how we use it. So for a classic example, a simple example would be the fact that you have access to so much data. And I talk about this in this book. And the access to so much data is a wonderful thing but it's also, you know, it's that whole thing, it's a curse and it's a blessing at the same time. And it's a blessing in that you can find out stuff quickly. It's a, and I think of the days when in the 80s when I was still researching, I'd have to go to the library and, and to a thing called the microfiche which some of you won't even know what that is to get (laughs) studies and to get research now I can just get on my computer and I can get what I need and I can write a publication up in in two days because I can get access to publications so that's from that side it's amazing but from the other side is that it's we our brain is is a is a responder it's not a generator doesn't your thoughts don't come from your brain your thoughts come from your mind and they get put into your brain and so uh-huh. you generate your thoughts. Your thoughts get put into your brain. Your brain is how we express ourselves. It's where we store our thoughts. We also store our thoughts in our body and we store our thoughts in our mind. So thoughts are stored in three places. And then it's through the brain and the body that we can express our thoughts. So it's think, feel, choose, build. Express that's the process. It's not that the brain is generating, and then there's a feedback loop, obviously set up. So if we don't look after our brain and our body, like for example, overdoing the digital, overdoing the the food uh, processed food, the diet, the modern American diet is just an absolute killer for the brain and body. And obviously, then if you've got if you're not exercising, because people have become so sedentary with you know technology, <laughs> and there's an over the medis, medical technology is phenomenal, but it's over we're over testing, we're over diagnosing, we're over and um, so a. there's got to be, it's a, a, there's been a slight swing to the imbalance. You know, we need to, we need all the technology, but we need it in a much more balanced way. So if you imbalance Mm. some, if something goes out of balance, then you are going to get a consequence. So I think what's happened is not, I think what I see from the statistics and from my own research is that this, um, what this reversal of trends, people dying younger from the advances in technology is linked back to how we live our lifestyles. And they actually, the statement that's made by the researchers is that people, are dying 8 to 25 years younger from preventable lifestyle diseases and issues. So preventable means preventable. It means that we could do something about this. With what? Our mind. Lifestyle. Lifestyle is how you live, what you do, what you eat, how you what what, what you put on your body, your exercise, how are you managing and responding in your relationships, how you manage the day-to-day moments of life, how you manage the acute traumas, the toxic traumas, the established traumas, the toxic stress, toxic thoughts. What are you doing? How are you managing them? Are you just like bamboozling through life and just reacting or are you very deliberately and intentionally managing the process? Now, the answer to that is very clear. If you want to use scripture as your reasoning behind it, renewing your mind. We're supposed to bring all thoughts into captivity and constantly renew our mind. So the answer is right there. You're not supposed to be just bamboozling your way through. You're not supposed to be reactive. You're supposed to be very, very conscious and deliberate about what am I thinking, feeling, and choosing about this situation in this moment? What is the impact on me and my body? What is the impact on my, 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 my decision making, what I'm saying, the person I'm saying? it to, the persons that are receiving this information. what's How is it affecting them? How is it affecting the quality of my work? How is it affecting, and so on and so on. And we mm-hmm. see from neuroscience and the mind-brain research that you can do this every 10 seconds. Now, I'm not asking you to put your timer on every 10 seconds. I'm just saying develop a lifestyle of standing back and observing your own thinking and neurocycling through everything you do. So the neurocycle that I've created was my challenge was, okay, how do I get people to do this in a simple way that people get into this, so it's actually just part of their life. That you just renew yeah. and capture all thoughts as part of your yeah, life, like, it, and that's why it's part the process. I mean,
0: sorry, sorry to interrupt. The no, 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 the, no. Go ahead. What you're what you're saying about the the process, uh, it it sounds okay. We read a scripture, or we have this idea as you know that we need to change our thinking to change our life. Some of that can lead maybe too far. to it. Where some people get nervous about that because it can sound new age or something. But changing your thinking, renewing our minds. Um, how do we? What are some practical things we can do uh, to actually do that? How you're saying every ten seconds? How how might I become more aware or or flip a switch on the way I'm thinking and perceiving, making decisions?
2: Okay, so I'm going to answer that in two parts. The first part is if you take the scripture, bring all thoughts into captivity. It doesn't say some. It's very, very clear throughout, if you read throughout scripture and throughout philosophy, and and actually all holy books, you'll see that the um, philosophy is one of never let your mind just go chaotic. So you should be cleaning up your mental mess all the time. That's the underlying philosophy is that we shouldn't just let thoughts rage through our mind. We should be controlling what they are and do we want them there in the first place? And if they're there, where did they come from? And can I change them so that is um that is a constant ongoing process and it's a skill that you develop renewing of the mind is something that you've got to be make a choice to do your mind is always changing so you can't stop that process your mind is always working that process doesn't stop you which means your brain and body are always changing the problem here is that people are not are not controlling how they're doing it. So the NeuroCycle helps you do that. So on a very practical level is what, what does it mean capture all thoughts? Well, on, in any one day, scientists have tried to evaluate and work out how many thoughts. And I follow a lot of very um, high-level scientists that, that do a lot of different work. And from all that, I've put together a simple sort of equation to help people to understand that. And essentially, the average person is pulling up And I say pulling up because they come. your mind has got an unconscious part that operates 24-7, that's infinite, and it's got a conscious part that we're in at the moment, which only operates when you're awake. So your conscious part of your mind is very slow, and it's the smaller part of your mind. The non-conscious part of your mind is very fast, and it operates 24-7. So at the moment, we are all conscious listening. So we've got our conscious mind working and on non-conscious, N-O-N. Non-conscious is where every experience from in the womb till now is stored in the form of thought trees. I'm holding up a tree again for those of you that are listening. And that that the tree is filled with memories. So every thought, like a tree's got all the branches, and I said already, mm-hmm. and roots. Yeah. If you call up a thought, it's going to bring a lot of memories with it, a lot of emotions and data and and feelings and all that kind of stuff and physical sensations and, and all that kind of stuff. So that's the first thing is to understand that you've got this infinite forest. In fact, you can imagine a helicopter, being in a helicopter, flying over this massive forest, and it's exquisite, and it just seems to never end. It's like you're going to run out of gas. This just you can't get to the end of it. That's your, that's your mind, and that's your, your mind looks like that in a, in a sort of quantum world, sort of like neuro, a neurophysiological world. If you look in our brain, um, looking in more in sort of the physical, you're going to see it as a bunch of trees that literally look like trees in your brain, but they're made of protein. So we can go inside mm. the brain and we can see the energy that the brain is generating through so looking at things like delta waves and theta waves and gamma and beta. We can look at blood flow. We can look at oxygen. We can look at what the little neurons are doing in the branches. So we can see all of that. which And, and that looks like forest. It's got what we call an arbor-like structure. So he, the, the point here is that you're flying over in your helicopter and in the middle of the forest is this huge patch of green trees that are just so beautiful. They're exquisite and it's endless but it's just perfect. Then on the outside you've got beautiful trees too but they're not quite as green and they're not quite is perfect and they're all different and they, and some are nicer than others and some are tiny and some are big and in between you've got all these little clusters of dark trees and some are big clusters with lots of lots of darkness and others and swirling energy and I'm just painting a picture, okay, and others are not as dark. So that represents every experience that we ever have going through in our life and um, what we're doing with uh, in terms of renewing our mind is we want to go use that middle part which is our wisdom, which is our made in God's image because God is perfect and God is love. So, therefore, the core of us, and I said this in the beginning, the core of who you are as a human is love. And we see this manifested in neuroscience. We see it manifested in neurophysiology, in the biology of the body. We see perfection, absolute perfection in the structure. Wow. And we see disruption to this perfection as our mind disrupts. So, in my clinical trials, and I show pictures of this in, the, in this book and in the first half, I show how, for example, when our thoughts are a mess and we're anxious and toxic thoughts, and we're not managing them, and we're in arguments, and we're judging others, and we're doing whatever, whatever it is, Um, or we haven't dealt with the trauma, and we've suppressed that, or something. We are creating. That's though. That is in that forest. It's those toxic clusters. Those dark trees. Some small, some very big, some really well established that have been there for such a long time. That are very, very dominant and and seem to have got bigger and bigger and take up more room and and seem to always be in your face. Kind of every time you experience something, those that seems to be the thought through which you view things because it's got so much attention paid to it. It's a, and we've got a few. We all have. lot of those in our life and what we need to be doing renewing our mind is capturing those and how many of those thoughts in our non conscious mind, infinite. How many in our conscious mind every few seconds we have like every second or so, we have seven to 10 of those coming up. So if we translate all of these numbers, there can be anything from 8,000 to 180,000. I think it's probably closer to 8,000 to 10,000 thoughts that will move from our non-conscious to our conscious mind in any one day. But as they move mm-hmm. up, they move up, they move down. And then another lot move up and move down. And some we grab hold of and we work with, mm-hmm. stay with them a little bit longer because we use them for a current decision. Those thoughts that are moving up or what's happening to you right now as you're listening to me, I'm stimulating all kinds of thought trees to be moving up and up and down as I'm speaking. And that's how you use the existing memories to understand the new memories. And you add more branches and you change them. And this is a constant ongoing process. So if I constantly have this very toxic cluster of trees popping up a lot of the day, so I go in the day and someone says something and it triggers that tree and it pops up and I then I'm viewing the that Particular moment through that lens. And it's going to be a toxic view. It's going to be a toxic mindset. And that's going to cause that's causing brain damage. It's causing mm. inflammation in my brain, in my body, it's causing even the level of the DNA, even your chromosomes. The uh, if I cross my fingers, for those of you I'm crossing my fingers and I have pink fingernails, the pink fingernails represent something called telomeres. And telomeres are a part of your DNA that are involved in cell division. And your cells, you divide you making about a million plus cells every second, and they are dependent on my fingers. The telomeres. And if they are not healthy, you're not going to have healthy cells, which increases your vulnerability to disease. What we see is that telomeres, the pink fingernails, are directly controlled by your mind. So if your mm-hmm. mind's a mental mess, your telomeres are a mental mess, which means every part of your body is now going to be physically affected. But it's, as quickly as it's affected, you can heal it. So I showed in cycles of 63 days that you can actually change the health of your telomeres. By changing the health of your mind. So, renewing of the mind and capturing thoughts is going to change telomeres, which is DNA, wow. which it's going to change your blood, your cortisol, your immune system, your all of it. I mean, you're going into vaccines for COVID. We have to get our mind right so that our body is strong enough to be able to use the vaccine, for example. Just to give you an example, to fight COVID, we need to get our immune systems healthy, which is healthy eating. But if your mind is not right, you can be eating in a healthy non, uh, farm-to-table, non-GMO organic meal. But if your mind is not right, you're living in a state of anxiety with uncontrolled thinking, You are going to actually not, you're going to lose 80% of that nutritious meal because your mind is controlling the ability of your body to absorb the nutrients. So your toxicity is blocking the nutrient absorption, which means your body's not going to get the health that it needs from that food. I mean, this is really significant. So that's why renewing of the mind is so vital and capturing all thoughts is vital. And when I say every 10 seconds and 8,000 thoughts and everything, this is kind of overwhelming. What it is, is a recognition that we need to be deliberate and intentional about being aware of our thinking, feeling, and choosing. So if we think of mind, this 99% spirit soul thing, as being thinking, feeling, and choosing. And if we think of mind as, having at its core a wise mind. So it's like we've got two minds. We've got our made in God's image, middle of the forest, beautiful green trees mind. And we've got the mind on the outside, which is kind of messy, as I described, some nice trees, small trees, big trees, the more recent the experience, the smaller the tree, the more established the experience, the, more bigger, the bigger the tree and the more energy it has and the more influence it has on your behavior. If you think of mind like that and we think of renewing that, what we're supposed to be doing is cleaning our garden. We're supposed to be using our wisdom and then that wisdom is activated by connection to God, which is love. So you can talk about when you talk to the Spirit of God, when you are praying, whatever you are tuning in, you wisdom to God's wisdom so that you can clean up the mental mess. So I don't, I'm not saying that I don't believe you should walk around praying all day. That's like that. That's not, that's just, that's catalytic not kind of prayer. It's catalyzing. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's catalyzing real prayer. That's not real. For me, that's just a form of prayer. If you want to live a lifestyle of prayer, you should be capturing your thoughts every single day. 10 seconds, which means that you should be standing back and observing your own thinking. If you really want to do what God says, if you really believe that that those laws or those principles, let me say principles of renewing your mind and capturing all thoughts, if you really want to pray continuously, praying continuously is renewing your mind. It is capturing your thoughts. So it is a situation of I'm in this moment. Now I'm awake. From the moment I'm awake, how am I responding to my husband, my wife, my kids, my work colleagues? How am I responding to that text? How am I reading that Instagram? post. Am I getting imposter syndrome? Am I being, am I feeling envy? Am I feeling jealousy? And so it's monitoring every moment how you are functioning. You almost go into two minds and it's, this is a healthy two minds. You go into a wise mind to analyze the other mind, which is the mind where free will exists. It's the mm-hmm. mind that's around the core. And you draw on your wisdom. And you do that. This is what the five steps dig down to teach you how to do that, to train you to be very observant in the little things so that you'll be observant in the big things and that you then become very observant the whole time. So let me give you land this with a very simple example. Let's say that you. Get into, okay, before I, pre- I just want to preface this with the, with the following. We've also got to stop thinking that anxiety, depression, toxic thoughts, anger, all these things are evil. They're not mm. evil. They are warning signals. They're not illnesses either. They're not illnesses. We've been told that that uh, mental health is an illness and it has a, it's a neuropsychiatric brain disease, scary things, but there's no science behind that. There is very bad science behind that. When I say no science, there is science, but it's very bad bias science because um, the, 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 the research takes humans and gets them to do things and then looks what's happening in the brain. So they'll read something or they'll answer questions or they'll would look at a picture. So they're doing something with their mind. They've been told to think and feel and choose and then they're looking at the response in the brain. Then they're saying, because that person, for example, I'm just giving a random example, says, oh, that's a very sad picture, that person's all depressed and blah, blah, blah. And that picture maybe wasn't that in the scientist's mind but in that person, Mm -hmm. that's how they saw that. The brain will light up in a certain way, certain responses will happen in your body, then they say, oh, the brain produced that, therefore you are clinically depressed because depression comes from that part of the brain. So it's almost as though in your brain it's waiting to jump out at you. That's not the case. If you're human and you're in life, life is tough. We know that. From the beginning of history, the beginning of mankind, we've been experiencing adverse circumstances and we respond, we react with our mind. We experience it through our mind. Mind is first order. We experience it through our mind. This is the gift that we have from God to be able to think and feel and choose. And as as we think, feel and choose, we build a consequence which is thought into our brain. We build forests, these trees in our forest. So what we need to do is, is recognize that we have power. We are actually have been given the gift of controlling this. Otherwise, you wouldn't have a wise mind. You wouldn't have the made in God's image, scent of the forest, whatever analogy you want to draw on. And just to give you an example of where this is, just think of the time that you just know when you know the right thing to do is this, or you just know and you get that sense of peace because you know that that's love. You know that that's the, the correct thing we all have that even infants research has been done on infants showing that they know the right thing to do so we all do as humans even yes you can become tainted yes you can spend so much time in toxicity that you that you don't know how to get to the centre of the forest because there's just on either side there's just this wall of black trees but those are all organic and changeable and malleable. And so as you then, your wise mind always is still stronger than those trees. But so as soon as you decide, hey, listen, I can't live with this rumination in my mind. I can't live with this toxicity. I can't live with this constant anxiety and depression which are not illnesses. They are warning signals. They are symptoms, like your alarm goes off in the morning to wake you up. They are symptoms that are, they are alarms, warning signals to wake you up to what's going on in your life. And so, essentially, we need to learn to tune in, and that's what this every ten mm-hmm. seconds thing is. Once we can learn to stand back and observe our own thinking, which is really easy to do, you can do it right now. Be, you, you can be right now. I'm very aware of my hands where they are. I'm very aware of my facial expression. You move your- hand, you're very aware of moving your hand, you're very aware of moving forward, you're very aware of smiling. You are very, and as I'm speaking this, the listeners and the viewers are now aware of themselves. I'm now very Mm -hmm. aware of your response to me. You smiled, I smiled, our my neurons were working. Can you see what I'm saying? I'm creating an awareness of an awareness. So Mm -hmm. you can, we can just like that, stand back and observe our own thinking. I call that the multiple perspective advantage. And I talk about that in the book as well, how to do that. It's kind of, Mm -hmm. you're going into two minds. So as I'm doing that, I'm standing back and observing In this way, I now can be very aware. So the next, maybe you go from this podcast and you, with a work colleague, and you see that they look really depressed. So now you can stand back and observe your own thinking and you can you can now, and thinking, feeling, and choosing, and you can look at you, what is your response in your body, in your, in your in your mind to this person. How can you tune in? What can you do to to maybe draw it out of them that why are they feeling depressed? Instead of getting irritated and, oh, they're depressed again, or are oh, they whatever, you can start. In other words, you can train yourself to watch how you're speaking. You have a conversation with a, with a loved one and you – it's so easy to snap at a loved one. So instead of snapping at them, you can, or if you are snapping at them, watch yourself snapping at them. Watch your body movements. Watch your words. Watch your language. Watch their reaction. Watch your work. How well are you doing your work? What is your? Observe how you are actually doing your work. Is it good quality? Are you thinking deeply? And that goes to the technology thing is that we when we are constantly getting data, we don't think things through. We don't think, feel, and choose. We just gather data. So it's all gathering of data and, and 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 we're not designed to just gather. We're supposed to gather and reflect deeply on the information. And that makes the brain healthy. So when it's just this bunch of information, it causes a lot of toxic buildup. So be aware, but pick what you're going to focus on and focus on that. And that's called brain building. And it's the first part of the second part of the book where I talk about how to use the neurocycle. So like when you are focusing on things, you need to learn new information. So you can use brain building to build your um, from when you study your scriptures, when you focus on what you're interested in, your work to improve your expertise in your work. I write scientific papers, I research, I do clinical trials, I have to study all the time. So I, I brain build an hour to two hours a day. So I'm using the neuro cycle, the five steps to build my brain. So I'm, And all of these are contributing to building my awareness. Okay, having said all of that, let's just land this with a very simple example. And then I'll just talk a bit more about the applications. So the first thing is that we need to, some. let's say that, Let's let's take maybe um, let's take some, maybe an argument because now in COVID everyone's at home and things have changed and you know we all in each face a lot more and a lot of people I do a lot of a lot of interviews and get so many do so many magazine articles and interviews and things and people always ask how do you deal with now you're in this person's face all the time how do you deal with arguments and you, know, <laughs> you love the person but there's yeah. you know there's irritation so I think it's kind of a relevant one so. Um, what you let's say that there's an argument that you've just had, but you've now got to go on a Zoom meeting or something like that. So you have to be together. You can't have a grumpy face and you can't let that f- argument enter into the discussion because you now have to be professional and do your work via Zoom. So you may not have fancy clothes on, but you are having to get your head on so that you can focus in that in that meeting so here's an example of where the neurocycle and training yourself to stand back and observe yourself is excellent so you first of all pr- you prime your brain and your body by breathing in for three counts and out for seven the reason you breathe out for seven which is longer the exhalation is longer than the, than the inhalation is because it increases the decision making capability of of your mind and your brain so extra oxygen being exhaled pushes more oxygen to the front of your brain which increases blood flow changes the way your heart is beating changes the neurochemic neurochemistry and that enables you to have more cognitive flexibility so just breathe in for three counts breathe out for seven counts and do that four or five or six or even nine times. It takes you 60 to 90 seconds and you would have set up your, primed your brain to calm down. So let's say that you have the argument and you have five minutes and you've got to get into this Zoom meeting or maybe even go to a safely, physically distanced meeting with your mask on, okay? Um, I'm being very practical because we need to be very real in this area that we're living in and um, all for distancing and, and masking. And so now we, so you prepare your brain in those few seconds, Okay, and then you going. To, you've got now. You've got now four minutes left, and you've got to go. You've got to be together. So now you gather awareness. The five steps are. I'm going to tell you the big picture. And then I'm going to break each one down, give you a little bit of brain science, and then that should sort of give some explanation. And I'll show you the other applications. The five steps are: gather awareness, reflect, write, recheck, and active reach simple steps based on 38 years of research, each step systematically designed, tested to see what is each step doing in the brain. So I have done all the research working out, if you do it this way, does it work? No. If you do it that way, does it work? Yes. If you combine this step with that, so it's not just some random thing I've picked out of my hat. This, every single step has been worked out. So if you skip number two and you go straight to number five from number one and you skip two, three, and four, you won't get the same benefit. So it's a systematic Process. It's not a technique. It's not replacing therapy. It's not replacing any communication skill. It is not replacing any psychodynamic technique or CBT. Or It is going to enhance everything. It is how you get your mind to change your brain. It's how you direct your brain. So you gather. The first step is gathering, gathering awareness. And in the moment of an argument, it's a bit like going up to an apple tree that's very, very full. Think of an apple tree that's so full, and you just Bump it slightly and all these apples just fall on your head and they'd like knock you out. That's what our emotions sometimes feel like. So often, an argument, you can feel like, oh my gosh, I've been bombarded. So what you want to do is stand back from the tree. That that what I just described, stand back and observe yourself. Kind of go into a wise mind and say, okay, I feel bombarded, but I'm gonna move out of the tree line of the tree. I'm gonna take a basket and I'm gonna gather the apples that I want to gather. So I control the process. So I gather awareness of my mental and physical state. So my warning signals so I gather awareness I pick the first apple and that's what what are my emotional warning signals then I pick the next apple what are my physical warning signals emotional would be things like anxiety depression frustration irritation whatever um, physical would be heart palpitations GI symptoms adrenaline rushes, whatever then I'm putting these in the basket. Then I look at my behaviours. I am. Um, I, I look. I look angry. I'm speaking short. Um, I'm snapping. I don't know. Whatever. You you gather. That's that apple. Then you look at your perspective. What's your perspective at the moment? Life sucks. I, this. I can't do this anymore. I'm burnt out. So you gather that apple. Now that the fact. The minute you gather something, neuroscience shows that you're now aware. The minute you're aware, all the little. And I'm holding up the toxic tree, all the little protein branches that are holding the memories are now weakened. If you suppress it and push it down, say, okay, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm not going to think about that. Yeah. I'm never going to deal with that again. You push it down. You go into the meeting. You won't, this is pervading the meeting. The toxic argument is pervading the meeting. So it's because it's, it's ubiquitous. It's going to, and if you don't deal with it, that's going to become a problem in that relationship and it's going to come up again worse next time until you deal with it. And it's causing brain damage and damage and you're down to the level of your DNA. So why keep it? Why not manage it? That's my I mean, when you know this, why won't you manage your mind? Why wouldn't you neurocycle? That's kind of my argument. And um, I'm not saying that that I don't that I have it totally altogether. No one does. But what I have learned to do is I now can recognize very fast when I'm in a situation that I need to control, which is pretty much all the time, and I know how to do it. So I can find it, I can recognize it quicker, and I can manage it quicker. So it doesn't invade my day in my life. We just went through a very traumatic experience. If you, I have a podcast called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, and I spoke about it um, in one of my podcasts. We had an extended family member who tried to commit suicide, and I actually found them. And it was oh, unbelievably wow. traumatic. Wow. It was acute trauma. It was they fortunately safe and on the other side and healing, and thank God for that. And But it was terrible acute trauma, terrible. And I was terrified. I was despairing all of us were extended family close family and so on and um, I had to I honestly it sounds crazy but I did an, I did a Neurocycle just to calm down because I knew if I didn't calm down, I wouldn't, ha- we would, didn't manage my mind. I would not be an effective support in this situation, and I would not make wise decisions. So I did the Neurocycle very quickly in a few seconds to get, and then I kept doing it through the evening as the evening progressed to get to the, each different stage. But I was doing it to keep my mind under control, to keep my brain and body under control, so that I could make, facilitate and help to make the right decisions and be there for the family and so on and so on. With the, I don't want to go into the detail. And the people want to and sure. they can go to the podcast and hear, because I described the actual neuro cycle I did. We just don't have the time now. But essentially, that's an example of using the five steps in an acute situation. Um, so I'm giving a simple example, like an a argument, but... Because I have practiced this so much in the acute where you may not even think to do it, I already have built the resilience in my brain, in my mind, and in my body. So it's an automatic go-to. I'm automatically renewing my mind. I'm automatically grabbing that thought, bring it into captivity, and not going down that I can't handle this. This is the end of the world. This is terrible. They're gonna die. This is instead of doing that, I captured that thought and I reconceptualize it, embrace it. And I said, it's okay. It's okay to feel like that. You, of course, you're despairing. Of course, you're um, terrified. In the anger s- argument example, of course, you're frustrated. Of course, it's unreasonable. Oh, yes, maybe that per- you, you're feeling like, like a victim or whatever it may be. And then so you gather awareness of all of that. You look at your behaviors. Then you go to the next step, which is reflect. Reflect is a beautiful word. It's all encompassing. It's huge. It's magnificent because it's asking, answering, and discussing to in a very objective way, very systematic, I've got my apples, what do these apples mean? What is the story that these apples are telling me? And then you write it down. Writing is does the most phenomenal things in your brain in terms of getting into that wisdom forest, getting the two sides of the brain working together, getting the blood flow going, getting the correct balance of what we call delta, theta, alpha, gamma, beta, the different waves, energy wave responses in the brain, getting the DNA lined up, everything. It's doing, and I put all that in the in the book. Um, and so then you, you're going to write, and there's a specific way I recommend writing, and it's called a metacog. I developed it over 38 years ago, and it's been refined over all these years, changed, refined, tested. And it's basically writing in patterns as opposed to just writing linear. So for the first, third step where you write, you just want to get your brain on paper. You want to get all your mind through your brain onto paper. And you want to get everything that's there out so that you can Dissect it, and so it doesn't matter how messy and how disorganized. But you do it in this pattern format with branches and words on branches and so on. And I explain in the book how to do it. There's also an app that goes with a book called the Neurocycle app, which helps you do these five steps with lots of different examples. And I'd literally give you therapy through. So the two work hand in hand together, and then um, you write that down. Then the fourth step is where you'd go and look at what you've written come in with colored pens and sort it out, do a mental autopsy. What does this mean? How can I reconceptualize it? And reconceptualizing can be understood as a deconstruction and a reconstruction process and embracing, you embrace and process to reconceptualize. So simplistically put, if you've got X plus Y equals Z in normal algebra, you would say X plus Y equals Z in normal algebra. But I'm not saying that you want that, you don't want Z, you want X plus Y equals X Y. Reconceptualization means I take, what's going on and I change how it's going to play out into my future Mm. and I'm going to change how it's going to influence my next moment. That's very different to just pushing it down. Z would be suppressing it putting a band aid on it, um, slapping a scripture on and using God as a magic genie, doing a positive affirmation, you, that's not going to be sustainable. It's just not going to work. You can't just take a scripture and whack it on a problem and hope it's going to go away. You yeah. have to do the work and Jesus models that in the garden. So the fourth step is to and I'm going to end off with that story very quickly that if you look at um, the recheck, it's that organizing step and it's to reconceptualize. If you build a new house on a, where an old ugly house is, you knock the old ugly house is there with all the photos but you knock it down, you build a beautiful new home, but you still remember how the old one was. That's X plus Y. X, I mean, that's XY. That's reconceptualization. You still remember the past, but you've changed how you live in that mental space now. And then the, mm-hmm. the active reach closes off the cycle And it's a little action. So in the case of the argument where I've got five minutes, I would have gone through that process and my my reconcept, my active reach would be, okay, I know why that this argument happened. At the end of my meeting, I'm going to go to that person and I'm going to blah, blah, blah. So I get a little action and now close, full stop. Now I don't allow myself to go there and I move into the meeting and I carry on the meeting. And that's kind of, so the way that, there's an in the moment thing. But if you're dealing with a trauma, like a sexual trauma from childhood or you're dealing with um, the post, traumatic stress of something like what we, our family went through, you're going to have to take a bit more time to deal with it. So something that's already established, like a bad habit that you've been doing for years, maybe the way you have arguments or the between a husband and wife, there could be this, you know, there's often patterns in, in not often, there are always patterns yeah. in relationships that yeah. are toxic and you. this is how you can, find, you're not going to fix them in one day. So what we've seen a lot, as a myth, is that it takes 21 days to change a thought pattern, it do, um, to, change, to build a habit. It doesn't take 21. That's a myth. It takes 63 at least. Mm. So oh, okay. 21 is three weeks. 63 is nine weeks. So I've done the research on it. I give it all in the book. But essentially, you're going to have to do these five steps every day for 15 to 45 minutes, and this goes along with capturing thoughts, renewing the mind, it's a continuous process. So you take one thought to maybe it's that toxic pattern in your relationship, or it's that toxic bad habit, or it's that trauma that's affecting how you are living life. You're so anxious you can't function, so you have to find the source of your anxiety, which could be some sort of trauma. You're not going to fix that in five minutes. You need to work for 15 to 45 minutes, a limited amount of time for 21 days, on the 22nd day to the 63rd day, which is the balance of the six week, the balance, the six week balance of the nine week process. You just do step five. So the first three weeks takes you about 15 to 45 minutes. The second six weeks takes you a minute, a minute a day, a minute to two minutes. You can spend longer if you want, but a minimum of a minute. So it's not long time investment. But when you do that, you see when I go through the first three weeks, I'm going to build a little tree in the forest, but it doesn't have enough energy. To, to influence my behavior. So for something to actually influence behavior change, where I won't argue like that anymore. There won't be that pattern, I know what to do, I'm not depressed anymore, I know why I'm depressed, I'm gonna do this. To get to that stage yeah. where you where you actually know how to manage it, you have to have that tree has to grow. And, the, and the extra 42 days makes it strong enough. Yep, the nine weeks in total. So there's a systematic process, and I explain exactly how to do it in the book and in the app that goes, as I said, with the book. So then you do that over the time period. And so you're not gonna solve it all in one and that's another key thing. And I'll, I'll end with this is you're not going to do it in one day. You're going to do it over time. In one day, you're going to just see maybe a little bit of the story and then tomorrow you can do a bit more and the next day a bit more. You can't work on it all day long because otherwise you'll be an emotional wreck. So you limit your work time on the hard stuff to 15 to 45 minutes and then you carry on with your day. And that's why the act of reach, the first step, is, is a little statement that actually is a positive end to I learned today that I'm not shamed. That's, or don't do if only. Or that little statement that just is the positive outcome of that little bit of work you've done today. Then you, each day you, you carried a little bit further. And if I may land this in the story of Jesus in the garden, we have this model in the garden. First of mind-body integration, of facing our stuff and not being afraid of it, of reconceptualizing. Everything I've just said is in the garden as a story if you want an analogy. Jesus did. Went into the garden, which which demonstrates we've got to face our stuff. The only way out is through. The only way that that Jesus could do what Jesus could do was to go through the garden, the the beating up, and the, on the cross. So you have to face your stuff. We on we're in an era where we we're not facing our stuff. We have to three percent of leaders in the church and globally, not even in the only the church. Three percent of leaders, whether it's church or out of church leaders are not talking about their mental health, which means that they're not enabling and empowering people to be free about it because of the philosophy. Meanwhile, if you're human, you have mental health issues. Your mind's a mental mess. There's no getting away from it. So don't pretend that you don't have it. Rather be authentic and open and say, this is what I'm battling with. This is what I'm doing. This is my field. I teach this. I research this. And I have problems and I talk about them on my podcast very authentically so that people can understand what to do to manage those things. You've got to be honest and open. That's really key. And that's what we see Jesus doing, embrace it. And then Jesus turned to the disciples and didn't ask them for Prozac or opioids or get out, get me out of here or take my place. Jesus said, can you be with me for but an hour? And that models our relationship with each other. In our world of coaching-dominated life, especially in the church, it's massive, this coaching thing. I'm not anti-coaching, but I'm anti-coaching trying to fix people. I'm anti-coaching being a substitute for you actually doing the work. You're not supposed to fix anyone. You're not supposed to coach a person to success. You're simply supposed to be there for them. And that's very, very different. So we have to shift our philosophy. When you coach people, you create an an unhealthy relationship. If you coach incorrectly, we've got to be there to support. And so that's another whole story. We can't do this alone. We've got to be supportive. It's going to get worse before it gets better. We saw this in my research and I talk about something called the treatment effect. As you face stuff, it's very hard to face, okay, I'm anxious. Why am I anxious all the time? Oh, I was this trauma in my life. Ouch. That is terrible. It's traumatic. So you will get worse before you get better. Jesus sweated blood. Jesus got beaten. It, it, got, it went on the cross. It just kept getting worse. Okay, so, yeah. and Jesus sweating yeah. blood shows the mind-brain connection because if you stressed enough, your body can, you can burst capillaries and sweat blood. It is very possible. So we see an extreme... Extremely good demonstration of the mind-brain-body link in Jesus sweating blood physically. So all of the principles that I'm teaching about are in that story. And then Jesus got put on the cross, it got even worse, but Jesus rose again. So that's the reconceptualization on the cross. It gets, okay, this is the mixing, and then you rise again, active reach, with your story. So your story, this is the X, Y. The X and the Y, Jesus got it got crucified. The wounds in the hands are your story, that are the lessons that are going to propel you forward. So yes, where's the lesson in a rape? There isn't a lesson in the rape, but there is a message that you can transform and say, okay, well, that happened, but this is how I'm going to use it. So then you've turned that into something that works for you so you can move forward into the future. Okay, I've said a huge amount. I hope That's, that kind uh, of explains. No,
0: thank you, Dr. Carolyn. It's you know it's obviously a, a decades of content and research and knowledge you're trying to cram in. I appreciate what you're telling leaders is to be more self-aware, to ha- use the tools that you're offering to us uh, the science can change how we think and then, of course, can affect everyone around us. So um, what we do matters for ourselves, but also for the sake of others. So I want people to find more content in your book, your podcast. There's the app, as you mentioned. We're going to link everything in the show notes. So thanks so much um, for Thank your you. time today. It's brilliant. Um, we need to, we le- need to <laughs> read this more carefully to, to get all the content that you're trying to offer. It's just rich science. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Dr. Carolyn. That was a whirlwind of content and uh, her thinking, her best thinking on these issues of brain science and our stress and anxiety. So maybe you want to go listen to it again, or you want to listen to it at a slower pace to try and take that in. Or check out her books, of course, her website and her content. All the links are in the show notes for you to check that out. Next week is the last episode of the season. It's hard to believe. So before I let you know who that is, I want to let you know that next season on the podcast we're focusing in. We as a team got together and said, "What is it that people need right now? What is it that people, um, you know, who are exhausted from all this content digitally? What is it that we need um, to grow and to thrive?" Uh, So we are bringing to you a whole series of conversations with a lot of names that you're going to have heard of before. And we're focusing each week on a different fruit of the spirit. So even just earlier today, I interviewed John Mark Comer on the conversation of the fruit of patience. So we talked about, of course, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which is his book. But we also talked about long suffering, the other word for patience and what does it mean to suffer. And, and you're going to love the conversations that we have with just a series of rich, diverse, interesting guests for season six. But before we do that, we have one more episode of this season, and we're talking to Paul Burns. He's the managing director of Twitter. Twitter's been around a lot lately, so maybe you want to look behind the scenes on Twitter Get into the heads of a Christian leader at the organization and what he thinks about how to navigate the world of complexity of digital, social media, content, all that kind of stuff. So thanks so much to Wycliffe College for making this podcast possible. Amazing friends and partners there. I'm so grateful to have gone to the school myself. And if you're looking to grow as a disciple, grow as a leader, check out collegeca slash Word Made Digital. Get more information about the school. I love whenever I hear one of you have decided to go there. A lot of you are starting to go there now uh, for a course or for a whole program. That's so awesome. Thank you also, of course, to Compassion Canada who makes this podcast possible week after week. If you visit compassion.ca slash good Good, you can learn about this movement of people that are doing some good every day to ensure that children escape from poverty and begin to thrive in their own local communities around the world. So I will see you next week for the final episode of the season with Paul Burns, the Managing Director of Twitter. But hey, I'd also love to see you on the Facebook group called Digital Church. I'd love to uh, see you check out those Word Made digital tutorials as well. It's all free. It's all to equip you. It's just a way for us to serve you and help you navigate this whole digital world that we're living through. All right, see you next week.
1: Thanks for listening to the Word Made Digital podcast with Joanna LaFleur. If you like this content, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Rate it and share this episode with your friends. Head over to wordmadedigital.com for more free tools and helpful content for creatives and communicators. We love helping you communicate the best news in the world.